0: Great. I like when the lights aren't so bright that I can still look at all y'all. Good. Well, uh, we're going to start a new conversation today, and I'm really excited about it. It's something we're super passionate about here in our community. So let's pray, and we'll jump right in together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the promise of your presence, that you are a God who is with us. That as we sung about earlier, you're a God who's there in the valleys, and the mountaintops, and the mundane, and everything in between. And God, today as we talk about how you are with us in every space that we step into in our lives. God, I pray that that would just be real to us today. And we pray for this school, God. We're so grateful for the, the opportunity that we have to worship here in this public school. What a gift that it is. And so thank you for this opportunity. And God, please bless the school, the faculty, the staff, the students. We wanna see this place flourish, God. We want students to be able to learn and to be able to, to step into all of their potential, God. We thank you for the ways that we get to partner and we thank you for their hospitality. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, encounter, have an encounter with us today, that we would be different people when we walk out than when we came in, because of you speaking to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, my question for you all today was, how do you spend your time? And I'm sure the list is very long of how people spend their time, so there's different approaches that you could take. You could kind of go with the, like, short, pithy answer, like, listen, I spend my time working, right? You just say, I'm working. You could say something like, look, I spend my time with lots of little kids and I don't want to talk about it, okay? Like I'm done talking about it right now. Since we're adults and we're having adults. Or, you know, there's lots of ways people could say, I'm, I'm, I spend my time sitting in a chair learning right now. There's lots of ways you could answer it. But what we do know at this point is that the average person in North America will spend 50% of their waking hours in some sort of work or vocation. 50% of the hours that you are awake on this planet, you will be doing some sort of work or some sort of vocation. And so we often have this conversation here at Mill City about how we integrate our faith and our vocation because we spend 50% of our waking hours of our life in those spaces and in those places or doing that work. So we, uh, we call this conversation God at work. That's just trying to be simple. That's what it is. We're talking about how we engage with who God is in our work. And when we use the word work or vocation, we're talking about it pretty broadly. We sometimes get paid often, get paid for the work that we do, but other times we aren't getting paid necessarily. Lots of caregiving and that kind of work is just as valuable even though we're not always getting paid. I would say that learning and being in a classroom is a part of our vocation, part of our work for many of us. And then absolutely, if you are looking for work, that is your work, (laughs) absolutely. So that is huge. And then obviously volunteering. People who give of their time and enter into a space of work and vocation without the expectation of getting paid is an amazing vocation. So when I use that term, I'm I'm talking about all of those things, from caregiving to spending time in in spots that you're going to end up engaging with for making money and all those different things. It's kind of a broad term. So I'm hoping that wherever you find yourself in that conversation today, you can bring that part of yourself, that hat that you wear as a person who engages in vocation. You can bring that to the space and you can feel like in these next four weeks, we're going to be talking to you around that space in your life, that space of vocation in your life. So here's what I think the tension is in this conversation. The tension is that if we spend 50% of our waking hours in our vocations, there's a big tension for me that when you survey people of faith, many people will say they struggle to believe that God cares about their work. Now, you might not be one of those people, but many people would say that maybe not all the time, but even often or sometimes all the time, they really struggle to believe that God cares about their work. And I think there's different reasons for that. So here's just my hypothesis. You can tell me if you have other reasons why you think that's true. Um, And maybe it's not true for you, but that's what the studies show, that people feel like God doesn't care about what they're doing with 50% of their time. So here's some reasons why. First of all, work is hard. I don't know if you've noticed, would anybody be willing to say that they feel like work is kind of hard? All right, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, So I think that's one of the reasons why it's like you think of God hopefully as good. We were just singing about the goodness of God. And so in a place that feels really hard, I think sometimes it's hard to think about God being there. 50% of people are dissatisfied with their work when they survey people in North America. 50%. So out of everybody in this room, half of you go to work and feel largely dissatisfied according to the way that, that people report. So, yeah, that's maybe one reason that it feels hard to see that God cares about it. Another reason, I think, is that oftentimes our work feels disconnected from our spiritual life. And there's a main reason for that. You might have heard me talk about it before. And that is what I call the false dichotomy of the sacred and secular divide. The false dichotomy of the sacred and secular divide. You hear people sometimes say something like, oh, that's a secular workplace or that's a secular spot, and then a church is a sacred spot or a Bible study is a sacred spot that's not real i just want to put that out there once again because everything is sacred if god's presence is able to be engaged with in those spaces are there some places that are desecrated or places where it feels like god is very absent yes but that's different than saying when i walk out of these worship services and into the street outside that i have now entered into a secular space god is lord of all god is lord of every space and god is lord of our workplaces And so the secular-sacred divide is a false dichotomy. You know, I think you've heard me talk about this a lot, how easy it is for us to have dualistic thinking and think there's only sacred and only secular, there's only this, there's only that. That is a huge barrier for us in seeing God in our work. Even some of us who do work that might be labeled as Christian work, it sometimes feels like we're in a secular space, quote-unquote. Okay, so then finally, I think the reason that some people feel like it's hard to see that God cares about their work is that the the work that they do, the organization that they work for, it feels like it's not connected to God or connected to faith in any way. And I want to just go out on a limb and say, actually, it's kind of a confession. I think I've looked into this enough. The reason that people feel like their work doesn't matter to God and isn't connected to God is because of people like me. It's because of people who have the opportunity to talk about who God is and fail to connect that reality with what people are doing with 50% of their life. We do this in a lot of different ways, and I'm just going to confess that to you. We do that by getting up on stages and commissioning people as missionaries and pastors, but not commissioning people into their vocations and workplaces. And at Mill City, we really try to do that, but it probably feels like you've experienced a lot more of one thing than the other. I think sometimes we've set up what I call a false hierarchy of the the work that is the most important. So, I don't think this is true, but when people like me are often talking about work, we tend to say, well, there's ministry up here and, and being a pastor or a missionary, and then the helping professions. I mean, everybody's hierarchy might be different because it's false, but and then there's the helping professions and then education, and then there's the people who are business is there, or maybe we, you know, where do we put business? I don't know. And then, like, wait, I mean, you just totally get the shaft if you're in the hospitality industry. I just do not think that's how God looks at it. But that's the way it's often communicated, and I want to be someone who says to you all that I'm sorry if people like me have communicated to you that the work that you're doing is something that God doesn't care about, or that there's certain types of work that God cares about more, because God cares about you, God loves you, and God loves you as a person who is doing the work that you do, even if you don't love that work at that time. God cares about that. And so my mission today is to help you to to connect with this idea that God cares about your work. We're going to talk about how—today I want to talk about how your work has inherent kingdom value, meaning God inherently cares about all of the work that you're doing because God cares about you. And even if you're in that 50% who are dissatisfied with your work, I want to say that God cares about that. And also, if you're that person who's like, listen— Pastor Steph, I've got, let me tell you what I do. It really is something that God does not care about, trust me. Even you. It's my mission today to try to prove to you that God does care. So I've kind of got my work cut out for me this morning. Um, but, and then I also want to do one other thing. I want you to be convinced that God cares about your work. And I want you to feel a sense of empathy with how hard work is. And the fact that I think God understands that as well, okay? So that's our, our mission today, if I choose to accept it, and I do, okay? So let's start. Let's start at the beginning. The beginning of the story about work. Where do we see the beginning of the story about work? It's in the book of Genesis, which means the beginning. But the first thing that we see in, story, in the story, in the big God story we often talk about, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the first way we see work engaged in is not the work of humans, it's the work of God. We see as the main character of the story, God, the main character, right away, in the beginning, God. God does what? The creation narrative, I want to talk through it. But what is God doing? God is doing work. We see the very first pages of scripture talking about work, the work of God. And so what I want to do is talk through those seven days. Many of you have read it. If you haven't, you can go back and read Genesis 1. I'm not going to read all of it for you. But I want to show how we see God working, how we see then God works throughout the whole story of the Bible, but almost all the type of work that God will do, you see just right there in those seven days. That's my hypothesis for you today. All right, so we're going to walk through them. And then I actually also found this really cool uh, paintings that kind of encapsulate the seven days of creation. This German guy in like the 1400s. And so you do have to give him a permission because he does, in a couple spots in these paintings, make the image of humans and God. And guess what? They look really German because he's German. I don't know if you've noticed. We tend to make God in our own image when we make art. But I actually want you to, to, to enjoy uh, the actual, the geometric way that he kind of brings to, to the surface this conversation about the seven days of creation. I think the geometry is really cool. It just really spoke to me. And so I want to put that up there for you to, to connect with. And if you aren't able to see the screen, then just imagine in your mind's eye, just imagine what it would be like for God to be creating in this way, okay? So let's just put one at a time, all right? Day one. Day one. God creates night and day. So what work is God doing? And these are the words that I'm choosing to kind of encapsulate it. But I think God created order from chaos. God created order from chaos. He ordered night and day and created order from chaos. Day two, God creates water and the sky. God separates the water from the sky. So I would say that God's work is God's creating the resources necessary to sustain life. We know that water and oxygen are huge. That's why living beings can exist on this planet. So the work of day two that God does is God creates the resources necessary to sustain life. Day three, God creates land and sea. God organized the space necessary to sustain life. I see this as God organizing and pulling and crafting. Can't you just imagine that God is organizing the world and so that it is prepared to sustain life. What important work is God doing? Day four, God creates the stars, the sun, and the moon. Now, there's a lot of ways we could talk about God's work here, but the way that I like to think of it in this day is that God creates light to pierce the darkness. God creates light to pierce the darkness. And this light is able to shine into these spaces that would otherwise be dark, okay? Day five birds and sea creatures. They're teeming. I love that word. They're teeming that the, the sky is going to be filled with birds and the waters are going to be teeming with all these animals. And when I think of birds and sea creatures, and I don't know about you, some of you have watched planet earth. Tell me somebody's watched planet earth. Okay. So when you watch that, I hope you would agree with me that this is the work of God. God created life and sp- filled the space with creativity. Is there anything more creative than some of those animals that live in the ocean? <laughs> like they, it's incredible. And, the, and the, the way that we see all these different kinds of birds, God's work in day five, in addition to other things, is that God created life and filled the space with life and filled the space with God's creativity. All right, day six. So day six, a lot goes down, if you remember, if any of you learned some of this in Sunday school. If you didn't, let me actually read for you what happens on day six, because there's kind of a lot, and I think we see a lot of the work that God is doing. So I'm going to look at Genesis one uh, 26. Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground." Okay, keep listening for God's work. Okay. So God created man, humankind, in His own image, and in the image of God He created them. Male and female He created them. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number." Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. A lot happens on day six, right? The other parts are like little few sentences, and then that's all the stuff that happens on day six. Day six is kind of like the crescendo, like all the most incredible things happen. And so I think we see a lot of things that God does. I want to point out four specific things of God's work. God created beings to share in God's story. That's a big deal, isn't it? That God created beings, not that that were just really cool-looking like the sea creatures, but beings that would share in the story with God. God invited co-workers to join in the work of caring for the earth and the other beings. God says that these humans are the only beings that are going to come alongside and be co-workers with God to take care of the earth. Wow. And then God created food and nourishment. That's talked about quite a bit there. And then finally, God fostered relationship between humans. There's a lot we could say about how God knew it wasn't good for humans to be alone. Even though humans had a relationship with God, humans needed other humans. I think that's pretty cool. And so God's work is all of these things just in day six. And then day seven, what happens? God rested with humans before getting to work. God rested with humans before getting to work. Have you ever noticed, if you've kind of thought about this story quite a bit in your life, have you ever noticed that the first thing that God does with the humans is rest? I think that's pretty interesting. I think it's pretty interesting to think about the fact that God describes these humans as co-workers and then says, all right, co-workers, the first thing we're going to do is rest, and then we'll get to work. How interesting would it be if we thought of our week starting with the days we head off? You know what I'm saying? Like we start with rest and then we end with work. I think that would be a total, totally interesting thing for us to think about if our work week actually began like it does here in this story. Because as soon as that day is over, day seven, that day of rest, God's like, let's get to work, we're gonna work together. And so God is creating work as good. Doesn't everything that you hear here sound pretty positive? I hope that it does because God said this is very good. That's a good thing, that's a good sign. God creates these coworkers and says, let's go do this work together. But there's something really critical that we need to make sure we don't blow past right here, okay? If you look at at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, This might be something you've thought about before. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. So the Trinitarian God is saying, let's make humans in our image. And then it go down to verse 27. So God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. He created them male and female, it says. So this is kind of a big deal. Have you heard us talk about this idea that we're made in God's image? I feel like we might say that, but it's kind of like, well, what do we mean by that, and we could talk about that for a long time. But let me just give you a few thoughts. I think when we say that we're made in God's image, we're saying that humans resemble God's likeness. That's one of the things we're saying. That humans are created to do similar things to God. I think we're created, and, we, and, and a phrase we might use is we image God. So the, the likeness of God is seen through humans, even though we are not God. So we image God. So we image God and that we're created for community. Because God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we, we have to exist in community. That's part of what makes us image God. We image God in that we're created good. That was really clear in the story, wasn't it? We are created good. Do humans sometimes do evil things? Absolutely. Every one of us has. But that doesn't mean we weren't created good and for good. In that way, we image God. We are created in God's image that we're the only beings of all that was described that are invited to co-work with God. That's what makes us imaging God. But here's what's the most important thing I want you to hang on to today. And that is that we image God in that we were created to do the same type of work that God does. We were created to do the same type of work that God does. And so I made a list based off of those seven days of all the things that God did of how that might be seen in the work that we do. So I want you to think about your main vocation right now, the main thing that you do with your time. And as we go through these things, I want you to see if at least one, maybe multiple, of the ways that God works, that we see God entering into work, is the way that you work and the work that you do every single day. And if you can't find yourself on this list, then I was trying to figure out what I could do for you. I don't have any dollars because I don't have cash, but I will write you like an endorsement on LinkedIn. Because if if your work does not fit in this, then we need to write you an endorsement on LinkedIn, okay? We'll get everybody to do it. All right, So, so let's look at this list. Let's look at this list. How does your work image God's? I hope you hear this all reflected in what we just talked about in those seven days of creation. Does your work bring organization from chaos? Does it sustain or produce resources for the flourishing of life? Organize spaces necessary or helpful for the flourishing of life. Help bring light to dark places and experiences in the world. Does your work bring life, care for life, or sustain life? Does your work bring beauty and or creativity? Is your work part of telling or sharing stories, the way that we see God starting off this story with humans? Does your work help people learn and receive resources for fully living into their story? Does it help people understand their purpose and story or God's story? Does your work help people overcome barriers to fully living their story? I know a lot of people that do that kind of work. Does your work support or lead coworkers in your line of work? Whether they're a part of your company or other companies. Do you support or lead coworkers in your line of work? Do you offer food or nourishment to people through your work? Does your work foster relationships or foster communication between humans with other humans or with humans and God? And then the last one I have, does your work help people rest or help to create spaces for people to recreate? That's what recreate comes from, right? we recreational. It's recreating. It's giving us new life. It's life-giving. Recreate. So I hope you can see some of your work checking some of these boxes some of you are like i want you to write me an endorsement so i'm going to try to tell you that it doesn't fit but i'm going to give you some examples so i thought i thought this week what are some people's uh, vocations people that i ran into this week and how would they check boxes on this list of how they work in ways that image god's work the way that they are made in god's image so the first one i put was a barista we'll just put them up here i think i put some check marks so i love my barista because my life would literally fall apart without this human um so I would say sustaining or producing resources for the flourishing of my life, that's for sure. Organizing spaces that help flourishing life. Uh, Telling or sharing stories. I hear a lot of stories from my barista, which is just personally my barista. Helping people overcome barriers to fully living their story. Is that not what caffeine does? It does for me. Offering food or nourishment. Helping people rest or spaces to recreate. Okay, all right, what's the next one that I put up there? Okay, an investment manager. So I was on the phone with my investment manager this week. I struggle with numbers and so this person helps me bring organization from chaos okay this is exactly what many people in my opinion who work with numbers are doing they're bringing organization from chaos Uh, he's helping me learn and receive resources to fully live out my story helping people understand their purpose or their or their story and God's story I've told my investment manager we want to be generous help us figure out how to do this and helping people overcome barriers to fully li- living their story. Would anyone else agree that dealing with money is a barrier for you sometimes in fully living your story? Okay, not just me. All right, well, that's part of it for us. Okay, what's the next one? Plumber, all right. We are currently putting a bathroom in our basement. So we've got people drilling into the ground, subduing the earth in order to get, to get bathroom a bathroom for us. All right, what does a plumber do? These people are, they might be the most literal right out of Genesis, folks. I'm. St- because they are also subduing different materials in the earth to make it a sustainable place. They're sustaining or producing resources for the flourishing of life. You need that bathroom to do what it needs to do, my friends. They're organizing spaces necessary and helpful for the flourishing of life. Now, this is in our basement, and I don't know how you all feel about your bathroom, but they are helping bring light to dark places in the world. All right, that's what this person is doing. And, and helping people rest, spaces for people to recreate. Now, I know some of you think of the bathroom as a place where you've read a good amount of books and other things. And we're not going to talk about the details, but that's what this, this person is doing in my home as they're, they're helping me. Okay, next one. Okay, the bus driver. So we have the Mill City Commons on the, the very northern top of the bus line that goes into downtown. And what's so cool is we've gotten to know the bus drivers because we've invited them to come in, get some water, and use our bathroom, okay? So remember the plumbers? Okay, so then the bathroom, they're coming in, but we've gotten to connect with them. But think about the work that bus drivers do. Sustaining resources for the flourishing of life. The the transportation industry is huge in being able for humans to be able to flourish. And when the transportation industry doesn't do its job in certain areas, people suffer. When people can't get where they need to go, we find areas of poverty and things like that because of the transportation industry is so necessary. Um, Helping people overcome barriers to living their story. And then I think the amount of people who are multitasking while they're on that bus, that is helping people rest. People are able to do all this different work because they're in that space. I think I maybe have have one more. Okay, social worker. So there's a lot of you that are in this type of work, and I engaged with a social worker this week. I was talking about a certain uh, case that they were working on. Man, talk about bringing organization from chaos. When people need a social worker in their space, they're often experiencing chaos. Uh, Sustaining flourishing of life, bringing light to dark places, helping people learn and receive resources for fully living their story. People in education do this as well. Helping people overcome barriers to fully living their story. And then fostering relationships and communication. This is what a social worker would do. So I mean, I could go on and on and on about all these different examples. Um, And I hope that you could look and you could see where your work fits in this space. I really hope that you can see that because it connects with the ways that you image God. And when we get disconnected from the ways that we are bearing the image of God, We're disconnected from purpose and we're disconnected from meaning and so many other things in our life but i'm sure that i'm not the only one that sometimes feels like man i cannot today or this week i cannot make connections with the fact that i'm doing anything that has to do with the awesome power of who god is this work feels so disconnected i don't know if if you are people who experience what i sometimes experience but i just call it like lies from the enemy about my work So if I'm gonna be vulnerable with you, like the number one lie that I feel like the enemy speaks to me is uh, asking me this question: like, do you think this really matters? I wonder if you've felt that before. I wrote down a couple of the other things I've heard people say that they feel like is like these words in their minds, and I I think it's coming from this this accuser, this enemy. You're not good enough to be here. You're never gonna enjoy this work. People at your work disrespect you. This work isn't important. You're wasting your time. No one understands how hard you work here. Work will always be stressful. There's no way out of work being stressful. I know some of you hear that one. You're stuck here. You can never get promoted. You can never move to another place. Some people hear you're one error away from being fired. And I think oftentimes people hear this lie that God doesn't care about this kind of work. God doesn't care. And I just think that every once in a while maybe one of these statements are true, but usually they're not. But we believe it. We believe that these things are true. Why do we believe these lies? Why do we believe that this stuff is true about our work? Well, I have an idea of why. And I think it comes back to what you've heard me say before. In fact, last week I was talking about this. The things that God created the most good, the enemy wants to curse. And so guess what? When we talk about this reality of work, unfortunately... Work is cursed. We see it right here in scripture. We turn to Genesis 3. Let me read it for you. I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels super discouraged when I read this passage, but I think that there's some hope for us. Genesis 3, verse 17. I'll start kind of in the middle here. Cursed is the ground because of you, because of the choices that the humans made to bring brokenness in. Cursed is the ground because of you, though through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So work is actually cursed. The very first vocation to subdue the earth, to care for the earth, you see, is cursed. And in my opinion, every other vocation since then has been cursed. But just like anything else that brokenness curses, we get to be a part of reversing the curse we get to be a part of reversing the curse no matter what industry we're in even if you're like this is not the job i hope to be in in a few years it doesn't matter every single place we find ourselves in we have an opportunity to be a part of reversing the curse that we see here in genesis and the rest of god's story is showing a redemptive trajectory about how god uses all of us to co-work with god to be a part of joining in what god is doing imaging god in all of these ways So in these next few weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. The ways in which we can engage with God in our work. And in so doing, we are reversing the curse that we see happen in Genesis when brokenness gets into all of those spaces that we find ourselves in. So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. There's a class going on right now called God at Work that Patrick Weiss is teaching. He said that people can still sneak in next week if they want to, which is awesome. Talking about this, if you're just like, listen, this doesn't apply to me. I'm like, it does. Me and Patrick will convince you. That it does, that God cares about your work. But here's just, uh, I'm gonna give you like five little tips and then we'll, we'll, we'll end. But the rest of these weeks are gonna be talking about how we can do this. So here's just some takeaways for you today. I think if we're gonna reverse the curse, the first thing is to intentionally reorient yourself towards embracing the way your work images God in these ways that we just talked about. How does the work that you do every day bear the image of the creator God and all the work that God does You know, the number one thing that people say is the rating of job satisfaction is meaning and purpose. And I believe that if we can connect the fact that God created us to be people who work the way that God works, that can help us in that area. The second thing that people say is most important for job satisfaction is who you work with. It's your coworkers. And so I think that's a great second tip, that we would see other people in our work as valuable enough humans to build relationships with them. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, I already have good relationships with my coworkers. But some of us, we kind of give people like really stiff boundaries, don't we? But there's an opportunity there to say, even though these people might be really different than me, believe different things, look different, talk different, who knows? That we can reverse the curse by seeing the work that we do as an opportunity to engage in flourishing relationships with other people. I think the third thing is not to ignore those lies, all those lies that we just talked about, because I know I'm not the only one that hears those things. So don't ignore them, but determine what the actual truth is and figure out who those truth-tellers are in your life. Who can remind you of the truth about who you are and the identity that you were created in God's image to do good works that God created for you to do. So who are those truth-tellers? The fourth thing would be, don't buy into the sneaky ways that the curse tries to take work's goodness. We'll talk more about this later. The, the curse tries to take the goodness away from work. Here's some ways that I think it does that. Uh, people hearing this truth that work is more important than, than people and the relationships in your life. That's going to steal away the goodness of work. People often have these sneaky thoughts about how we don't really need to rest from our work. The idea that we don't really need to rest from our work steals the goodness away from, from work and what was created for. How about the fact that it might always be best to take a promotion? That is what work, the world of work tells us. But it's not always best to take more work on. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But that's a way that the sneaky, the, the sneaky ways that the goodness of work is taken. And fifth and final, I think we need to break down the sacred-secular divide one prayer at a time. Honestly, I don't know that it's something that we can just decide we don't want to see, but this this divide that causes us us to think that God is not just as present tomorrow morning at this time as God is present here right now. God is just as present wherever you're gonna be at this time tomorrow as God is here with us. It's not whether or not God is gonna show up, it's are we gonna show up to God? And so it's gonna take one prayer at a time, I think, for all of us, even people who work in vocations that might have the prefix Christian, to say, am I gonna show up to God in my workplace? And so Patrick actually wrote a prayer for the God at Work class that I want to read for you today. The, the worship team can come up. And, and I actually have some little cards that have on one side the prayer and then on the other side those little check boxes so you can go home and, and decide if you can trick me into writing you a, a profile thing on your LinkedIn. But all those little boxes are on one side and the prayer is on the other because I think this is a prayer that one day at a time we could pray. Put it in your visor, put it on your mirror, somewhere before you head into work, whether that's working in your own home or somewhere else, that we can pray this prayer together. So I just want to close by reading this prayer that Patrick wrote for us. Lord Jesus, as I enter this workplace, I acknowledge your presence is with me. I speak your peace, your grace, and your perfect order into the atmosphere of my workplace. I desire to bear your image as I engage in the tasks of this day. I acknowledge your lordship over all that will be spoken, thought decided and accomplished in this day lord jesus i thank you for the gifts and skills you've given to me i do not take them lightly but commit to using them responsibly and well give me a fresh supply of truth as i do my job today bless my creativity my ideas and my energy so that even my smallest task may bring you honor lord when i'm confused guide me when i'm weary energize me Lord, when I'm burned out, infuse me with the light of your Holy Spirit. May the work I do and the way I do it bring hope, life, and courage to the workplace. And Lord, even in this day's most stressful moments, may I rest in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.